I mean, so Wesley's whole thing is like love. And if you're going to go with, you know, thinking queer about any like queer life or LGBTQ issues, you know, you have like the whole like love is love thing is a little bit trite and a little bit like whatever at this point. But if you want to use it, like Wesley is a, is your dude. Like he would yeah. be all about that kind of. Again, I, there's not, there's not like in any way am I saying like John Wesley himself would be like an affirming person today. Like honestly, maybe not, probably not. But there's so much in his work that is really generative for thinking about sexual liberation hmm. and gender liberation really. Hello and welcome to Out Loud, a podcast by and for queer people of faith in the South. Here we tell our stories of varied religious upbringings, messy coming outs, and the gift of community with one another. I'm your host, Greg Thompson, and the voice you just heard was Keegan Osinski. Keegan is the librarian for theological studies and ethics at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. She holds a Master of Library and Information Science from the University of Washington, and studied philosophy and theology at Point Loma Nazarene University. Her work is naturally informed by her faith. Keegan belongs to the Church of the Nazarene, which is a tradition informed by John Wesley, a well-known theologian from the 1700s. In Keegan's book, Queering Wesley, Queering the Church, she examines Wesley's sermons through a queer lens. Together, we talk about her choice to stay in the Church of the Nazarene and her positive experiences within her churches despite the denomination's unaffirming stance on queer inclusion. And while Keegan feels comfortable towing the line in her own denomination, we talk about the boundaries all of us might need to keep in mind when we disagree with the church's beliefs. Keegan identifies as queer or bisexual and uses she, her, hers pronouns. Before we dive in, just a few announcements. If you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, you can catch me this month teaching yoga at the Boho Fit Studio. I'm doing a restorative class on Mondays at 5.30 p.m. and a vinyasa flow class on Wednesdays at 5.30 p.m. We'll have fun getting stretchy and most importantly, we'll relax. Whether you've practiced yoga before or not, I would love to see you there. A link to the schedule is in the show notes. Next, I mentioned on our last show that I'm now offering spiritual direction online. This is a great way to carry on the kind of conversations that I have with guests of the show. Perhaps you're stuck in your own faith journey or just wondering how your sexuality can fit in with your spirituality. Spiritual Direction is a process where we'll walk through those questions together. You can sign up for a session on my website, and that link is in the show notes too. And finally, Out Loud does not happen without your help. As we head into this holiday season, consider making a one-time gift to the show or becoming a member of our Patreon page to give regularly. Any contribution is greatly appreciated. Again, just follow the link in the show notes. And now, let's hear from Keegan Osinski. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. I'm excited to chat. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So a question I always like to ask folks just to kind of get started is, can you tell me about the religious or spiritual background of your childhood? Yeah, so it's it's actually kind of funny because I am, you know, in religion and academic religious spaces. I go to church. I'm like always thinking about Christianity and it's 
theology. It's just like such an integral part of my life. But my family is not really religious at all. I didn't grow up going to church. I It's actually really funny. Like I didn't even know people went to church on Christmas until I was like 14. Like I didn't realize like Christmas was like a religious holiday. <laughs> Or Easter, we we would go to church on Easter. So I knew, like, obviously Jesus rose from the dead. But I didn't really know anything about the dying part. Like, <laughs> so it's actually just kind of a funny, funny situation. Eventually, um, I started going to youth group with, like, friends from school. So, you know, a lot of times at youth group, they're like, bring your friends. And, like, I was the friend that that got brought around. And so that's kind of how I ended up going to church in the first place around like middle school, high school. But yeah, so my family is not particularly religious at all. I know far too many people who have really contentious relationships with their family, especially, mm. you know, queer folks who've had to deal with more conservative religious upbringings and and stuff like that. So I I got really lucky, I guess, in the sense that, you know, on the one hand, I missed out on stuff like Bible quizzing and, and Sunday school and all those kind of like weird cultural quirks. But also I missed out on all of the like religious trauma <laughs> of having, having a religious family. Totally. <laughs> you know, I talked to someone else before who came from a similar upbringing. And so my question is, was it a bigger deal to your family, you coming out or you going to church? Right. I mean, kind of neither. Like my family okay. has been like, I was raised to be very independent. And so my okay. family has always been like, you know, do your thing. We support you. Like you can do whatever you want to do. It is pretty funny, especially once I started studying theology in college and like getting involved in church, I would come home like for holidays and it'd be like Thanksgiving and we'd be like getting ready to eat. My family would like be like, do you want to pray? Like, <laughs> it was just like this kind of like weird, awkward moment. I'm like, no, 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 we don't have, to, we don't have to pray. It's fine. <laughs> so what, what church did you get involved in with like this youth group? So initially it was a very conservative, evangelical, non-denominational kind of, kind of church. And it's, it's really, I mean, I, I've told this story so many times and it's still just funny to me because it, it was this really conservative place. And then when I started going to, when I went to college, I went to Point uh, Loma Nazarene University and now I'm involved with the Church of the Nazarene, which mm. is also a really conservative evangelical denomination. But I didn't really know that at the time. I just yeah. like was going to a Christian school for college and when I started studying theology there, I would come home to my home church that was this like even more conservative, like fundamentalist almost kind of situation. Wow. And they were like, you know, women can't preach. Women shouldn't be, you know, working outside the home. Women need to be submissive and, you know, get married, stay home, have a million babies at homeschool them. And I mean, that was that was never me. I mean, I I tried <laughs> yeah. and I prayed that I would be that kind of person, but I honestly <laughs> I never was. That that's one thing my family, I think, probably they've never said it to my face, but they I'm sure when I was involved with that, they were kind of like, oh <laughs> that's not great. But once I started studying theology and getting more involved with the Church of the Nazarene, you know, my home church was just kind of like, no, like 
you are learning about feminism, you're learning about like Arminian theology, which is different from the Calvinism that they were into. And they're just like, you are not, this is not okay. So that whole relationship and community just kind of like fell apart under my feet. And I ended up being kind of welcomed into the Church of the Nazarene because that was the folks, my professors and other, you know, colleagues at school where there were a lot of Nazarenes and they were like, we've always ordained women. You know, we uh, like believe in like, you know, taking care of the poor and things like this. And so I was like, great, this is like a more progressive kind of environment. But the more I got involved with that, the more I found. And then once I moved from California to the South, Mm -hmm. I got more involved with the Church of the Nazarene as a denomination instead of in a university in Southern California. Mm -hmm. I found out like, oh, actually, this denomination is also quite conservative. You know, they they have some really good doctrines on the books that I think have a lot of space for really open, progressive thinking. But in reality, the vast majority of the clergy and the laity are still quite conservative in even in their theology sometimes and certainly in like their, you know, views on social issues. However, like I said, I think there's a lot of space in the denomination and their doctrine yeah. as like a Wesleyan denomination for like a lot I just think there's so much wiggle room there and that is kind of like how my project got started yeah right because I'm in this situation in this environment and I'm seeing all like the really interesting connections and cool like ways that we could kind of have some like freedom and and do some interesting things and because I'm didn't I wasn't raised in this denomination I can kind of see it with fresh eyes a little bit but it's still, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a very conservative denomination. <laughs> that is so fascinating and and really relatable for me coming from a Roman Catholic background myself, being raised in that setting where it w- it's largely or kind of known to be more conservative and especially when it comes to LGBT rights, like there's just a hard line there. But my experience has been similar. Like I've had communities where I've seen pockets and room for more debate and and people who are willing to engage in that that's really encouraging and some of us can see that and some and, and can do something about it and some of us see that and are like I don't even want to get involved and and I think it's great that like you're wanting to get in that yeah, conversation exactly and I I also you know have a certain level of privilege there because you mm. know I know so many people who grew up in the church of the nazarene who are queer and have had to leave it because it's not an affirming denomination. You know, maybe they have a call to ministry and they're not going to be able to get ordained or they have, you know, parents who are, you know, like, well, the church is not affirming. So I don't, you know, believe in your lifestyle or whatever. And I don't have like that piece of it. Like I, you know, the church of the Nazarene is not like, hasn't, Like there's nothing like that for me because I am not ordained. I'm not seeking ordination and I don't have this like background where the church has been, you know, hurtful to me. I've really only had a lot of positive experiences with it and with the people in the church. And so I have this 
place of privilege where I can stay. And there's, you know, I talk to people all the time who are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should, you know, people who are allies or people who are queer themselves who are like, I don't know if I should stay in this church. You know, it's so, it's so difficult. And I'm always like, you can go like, be at peace. Like if it's harmful for you, if it's not healthy for you to be in these spaces, like go. But I, for whatever reason, it's not been unhealthy for me. I, you know, it doesn't bother me. No, you know, there's definitely people who like don't like me, but it's like, what are they going to do? You know, like (laughs) you're like, make a phone call, send an email, like whatever. I don't, I still go to my church every week and, you know, worship with my community and hang out with my friends, you know? So it's like that it doesn't impact me in the same way. So I kind of get to do that. And that's kind of the beauty. I I think of like the track that you're on, having talked to Kashif on the show before who works in your same office, like where it's where you're taking this like academic and like librarian track that sort of gives you room to do all the the deep work and ask deep questions and help people ask deep questions, but you're not beholden to this church that you're a part of and they can't really make a decision or really like silence you to my knowledge. Right. And yeah. So it, that's I'm... a really cool position to be in. Yeah. And, and I, I think I talk about this in, in my book, in the, in the introduction, why this kind of book hasn't been written yet. Like why, why has it taken so long? Especially because as I was writing it, I'm like, this is not that hard. Like someone, surely someone should have done this already, but it's because the people who would do it are, you know, say theologically educated ministers, professors at seminaries, you know, these people who are very deeply intertwined professionally and with their livelihood in these unaffirming denominations. And so it it really is a a risk for them to teach or write or do these, this kind of work. You know, if they're ordained, they're risking their credentials. If they are a professor, they're risking, you know, their teaching posts, these kinds of things. But for me, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not ordained. I'm a lay person. I am theologically educated. I have, you know, a couple of theology degrees, but I don't work at a denominational school. You know, the Church of the Nazarene doesn't pay my bills. And like, there's not a lot that can be done. And the way the polity of the Church of the Nazarene works is that as far as like discipline or membership, you are a member of your local congregation. And Mm. so the local congregation does any kind of discipline and things like that Mm. and so i'm you know lucky to be in a space where my congregation cares for me supports me loves me you know whether or not they like agree with everything i've written or do or whatever like that's kind of immaterial because they you know we are in the community together and so i don't really have to worry about losing my job or anything like that I, I was wondering, like, how how was it finding that church when you came to Nashville? Yeah, I mean, again, I've just I've been so lucky because I um, was part of a Nazarene church in San Diego before I moved out here. That was, you know, one of the more progressive ones. You know, a lot of the people who had gone to Point Loma, my college, and you know, we had a lot in common and a lot of you know trying to think about how the church could be a more open and welcoming space, a more, you know, um, 
socially, social justice minded space. And when I moved to Nashville, there's also a Nazarene school here at Trevecca. Mm. And so I kind of figured that there would be other people that I could find and connect with. The Church of Nazarene is very small, small world. So it's like, if you know one Nazarene, you know a bunch. So I was like, I'm sure I'll be able to find somebody. And there, there are a couple of progressive congregations in, in town. And so the one that I go to, I, I was able to find, and there's a couple of, you know, professors that teach at Trevecca that go there and a couple of people from Vanderbilt who from the Divinity School that go there or have gone there. And so it's just, you know, there's several Nazarene churches in town, but, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of narrow down which ones would be a better fit. <laughs> That's great. Well, that. That's great. I mean, it's great that you had that clarity kind of going in because it can be really, it can be so tricky finding a church when you are worried about like whether or not you'll be accepted there. Oh so, yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. So. How was, how, how did you decide kind of going back a little bit, like how did you decide on like on library and information science as like a track for, for you before you moved into like the theology side or were those kind of intertwined? They definitely went together. So in undergrad, I studied philosophy and theology. That was my degree. Okay. And I worked as a student worker in the library. And I, you know, I loved working in the library. It was a great job to have as a student. And I love studying theology. And I wanted to keep doing that. But I, I knew early on, like, I didn't really want to be a professor. It just, like, kind of scares me. I do like teaching now that I've, now that I have been, you know, doing some teaching as a librarian. I'm like, I do like it, but even still, I don't want to like teach a whole lo like a full load of classes. Mm. And I don't necessarily want to be like in librarianship. We talk about the, the sage on the stage versus the guide on the side. So like, like this idea of like having a person up front, giving a lecture versus, you know, a buddy, like coming alongside you and like, like, let's do this together kind of thing. And I'm much more interested in the latter, which I feel like I can do as a librarian. So yeah. I knew pretty early on, like I didn't want to do like the traditional, like get a PhD, try to get a job. And now that I know, now that I see what the job market is like for academics, it's like a nightmare. I'm extra glad I didn't go that route. You chose wisely. <laughs> so when I was an undergrad, you know, I was like, okay, I know I don't really want to do that, but I like working in the library. I like working in the academic mm. world. So maybe I could be a librarian. Um, and I just kind of started looking into that and I found it like, okay, you have to get a master's degree to be a librarian. Like, okay, I can do that. And then I found out that theological librarianship was a thing. And Amazing. I was like, there, done, easy. That's it. That's me. That's what I want to do. So I just kind of was able to sketch out a plan where I was going to do library school. I was going to get a job at, you know, some school, some seminary or something that had a library that had a theology program. And then I was going to get a master's in theology and I was going to be a theological librarian. And then I did that. <laughs> how, how, like, how, I got to pause you there. Like, how, how did you find that clarity? You know, a lot of it's luck. Like I, I talked about <laughs> it a lot, like, you know, obviously like I am a hard worker. I am like a goal oriented, like workaholic kind of person, but also like, I, I don't know how this all worked. Honestly, <laughs> I, 
So when I applied for the job at Vanderbilt, so first I applied before I finished library school. So I did library school through the University of Washington online full-time while I worked full-time at Point Loma. So after I graduated, I was able to come back full-time in the library as, you know, it's like a paraprofessional is what it's called as opposed to like the professional level Mm. of like a librarian so i was working full-time at at point loma and doing my library degree and so i just kind of started like looking at different places different schools and then i just found this job posting at vanderbilt in nashville for basically the same paraprofessional job i was doing in san diego so it was like a lateral move but i was like Vanderbilt Divinity School's here. It's, you know, it's a big school. It's like, it's, it seems like really nice. I had never been to Nashville in my life (laughs) before I rolled up in my (laughs) (laughs) U-Haul. But I, you know, I applied for that job and during the interview process, like it was super fun. It was really like, yes, this, everything was clicking. I'm like, Mm, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. This is where I want to be, the kind of place I want to be. And they kept telling me, they were like, this is not the kind of job people move across the country for. I think it like it was like $14 an hour. Like it was just like the, <laughs> basically the same job I was doing. But I was like, no, like this is part of my master plan. Like, <laughs> trust just me. Go bit. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, OK, come on over. And they hired me. And, you know, that was yeah. over eight years ago now. Wow. So in that time, I finished my library degree. I started my master's of theological studies at the divinity school here i was able to get like a promotion from the paraprofessional position to an actual librarian position and then i finished my mts and i'm just like living the dream and i get to i get to teach i get to work with students i have time for my own research and and writing and it's just i get to work with like world-class faculty and Mm -hmm. like help them with their research and and their work it's just it's the coolest job again like I try not to brag too much about it because (laughs) like but it is the coolest academic job like it's it's the best I absolutely love it Tell me about the book. Like, why why was this important, you think? And you were kind of getting on to this a little bit earlier, but like, why why was this such an important subject to you to write about right now? Yeah. So like I said, I kind of just had an idea. It started with an essay that I wrote partially for the uh, Wesleyan Theological Society, which is, you know, an academic professional organization, and partly for... Uh, queer theology class I was taking in the divinity school. And I was just, you know, I, I'm a Wesleyan educated Nazarene person. So like John Wesley is just kind of like around in my brain. And I was like, what if I took one of John Wesley's sermons and I like subjected it to a queer reading? Like what would happen? It really was just kind of an experiment. So The first one I did was his sermon, The Circumcision of the Heart. 
And this was in spring of 2017. And I wrote like a small, like eight page paper for the, for the conference and presented it. And so I don't know how many academic like conferences you've been to, but you know, it's basically just like people just like read their papers in front of like a classroom of like, you know, two or three people and like one of them's your mom. Like, you know, it's like, it's not, you know. <laughs> they just that... read them verbatim, like word for word. No, yeah. It's not like a presentation. Okay. okay. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times people literally just get up there and read their paper. And so yeah. it's just kind of like, you know, you're not going to draw a crowd. However, <laughs> I drew a crowd. Like <laughs> it was wild. Like there was like standing room only. And like, there were so many people that showed up. Because, wow. I mean, I guess it was because of the title. So it was Queering Wesley, Queering the Church. I think that was the the title of the paper. And I think people were just like, what is this? And they were just like fascinated by the title. So they showed up mm. to hear the paper. And in the moment, you know, I had a few interesting questions and a little bit of, of discussion afterwards, but nothing too crazy. But in the like weeks afterwards, as people kind of, had time to digest it, I guess. I was getting emails. There was just like a lot of people were talking about it on Facebook, which like, again, like this doesn't happen at academic conferences. Like you, yeah. you read your paper and like everyone's like, good job. Nobody cares. Moving on. There is this one conservative Methodist blogger who like wrote a blog post about it. And that got shared all over the place. And people got really, some people got really mad about it. And they were just like, I can't believe this. So obviously I touched a nerve yeah. and I was like, okay, there's something, there's something here. So yeah. I took that eight, eight page paper. I turned it into a 20 page paper for my class. So I got to kind of dig in a little more and expand upon these ideas. And it, it was just such a really fun and interesting exercise in like theology. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to now do my master's thesis. So I have to do this like bigger project for my thesis. So I'm going to just keep working on this idea. So cool. for that, I was like, okay, I'm going to do two more sermons. So I already did circumcision of the heart. I'm going to do, which ones did I do? I think I did the new births and on perfection were the two sermons I did for my thesis. And then I wrote an introduction, like a big sub substantive introduction to the project. And that ended up being the pretty much the introduction and two chapters of the book and then circumcision of the heart ended up in book two. And so, especially as I was writing the introduction, there's a lot in there that really kind of explains like, first of all, no one's doing this. Second of all, why? And obviously I gave some of those reasons already, but like, it's so rich, like the Wesleyan Wesleyan theology, Wesley's work itself, the Wesleyan tradition, there's so much here that is really generative and has a lot of space to do this kind of really like experimental work that opens up toward freedom and love and liberation. And that's something that like Wesleyans are all about, like Methodists love this shit. And so Wesley's whole thing is like love and if you're gonna go with you know thinking 
queer about any like queer life or LGBTQ issues, you know, you have like the whole like love is love thing is a little bit trite and a little bit like whatever at this point. But if you want to use it, like Wesley is a is your dude. Like he would yeah. be all about that kind of. Again, I, there's not there's not like in any way am I saying like John Wesley himself would be like an affirming person today. Like honestly, maybe not. Probably not. But there's so much in his work that is really generative for thinking about sexual liberation hmm. and gender liberation, really. And it really, again, it wasn't that hard. You know, I'm making some jumps to do it. It, it is a creative exercise. I, you know, I, I'm not trying to like hide that, but you know, it, it it's not, it's not a far leap. And I think, I hope that comes across. Like, like a lot of people who have read it at this point are like, oh my gosh, this work is so Wesleyan. It's so yeah. Wesleyan. And, and I tried really hard to really hold on to that. Because I really do believe that the Wesleyan tradition has a lot of potential to be a, an affirming, liberative kind of space. Yeah. Sorry, that was kind of a rant, but I... <laughs> no, no, I love it. It's great. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with with John Wesley or even maybe this practice of kind of like analyzing and interpreting interpreting sermons, can can you maybe like walk us through like an example of like what one of like what what's something that that was really rich for you in this process? Sure. So John Wesley, so I'll start with this. So he was around in the 18th century. He was an Anglican priest and he got in a lot of trouble with the Anglican church for going out and preaching outside to poor folks and working class folks. He was very invested in the poor in bringing the gospel to all kinds of people and doing it outside. So mm. a lot of stuff in the Wesleyan tradition. And so the Nazarenes are like combo Wesleyan Pentecostal a little bit. So okay. you have this idea of like camp meeting and revivals. And mm. a lot of this kind of goes back to John Wesley out in the field, like literal field preaching and, you know, really just like bringing the gospel to the people and getting in trouble for it because the Anglican church was like, no, no, no. The gospel is in the church, in the building. We got to keep it here. Mm -hmm. And he was not about that. And so a lot of these sermons, and I do a little bit, I, I, no, maybe I should have done more of like the kind of historical work or including more context for like where and when the sermons were mm. preached. I do a little bit of it, but a lot of the sermons in the book are, were like preached outdoors originally. A lot of them were like then published in magazines and, and newspapers and stuff like that as well. But just really helpful context thinking about the audience and, and who it's for. Yeah. outside of the church. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, and the other thing to know about John Wesley is, you know, he is the founder of Methodism. So his whole thing is this really methodical way of thinking about faith that has to do with self-reflection. You know, he had like this list of questions that he would have, like he would create these small groups that would get together to like, you know, increase their faith and their discipleship. And a lot of these questions were like, you know, where are you struggling? Where are you sinning? Where do you need grace? Where do you, you know, and really like forcing people to sit down and take stock of their lives and their faith and the way that they're relating to God and their neighbor, you know, where they're, where they're putting their money, 
all these mm-hmm. kinds of things are like these very like Wesleyan practices. So that's a little bit about Wesley. And then as far as queer theory and queering or queer reading, basically this is a methodology where basically how I do it is I would take the sermons, I would read them over and over and over and over uh, <laughs> until something like jumped out at me. And I had like a list of questions that I kind of would use too. So really how queer reading works is you are asking the text a bunch of questions, particularly having to do with upsetting any like gender or sexuality norms, questioning, you know, assumptions, thinking about how how sex and gender are functioning in the text, what they're doing and and not doing where the gaps are, like where the silence is. So you're asking a lot of these questions, you know, who who are the characters in this story? For example, if it's like from a Bible text, who are the characters? What are their genders? How do their genders affect their motivations or what they're yeah. doing? I would ask, you know, what what would what would a queer person hear in this sermon that, you know, maybe a straight person wouldn't? And there's there's a lot of that in there. It's like hmm. how how do I personally, me, Keegan, as a queer person, hear these sermons? And, you know, using my experience and my perspective to kind of like question what you say or bring it into today to mm-hmm. current current ways of of thinking that are, you know, per- perhaps more progressive sexually or whatever. Another thing that's really a fun practice when you're querying a text is gender swapping so i love to be like okay the characters in in the story what if they were different or what if this person in this story was queer i have one little passage in the book where i talk about the story of nicodemus coming to jesus at night and i'm like nicodemus what are you doing there cruising for jesus What exactly is going on here? In the here? evening, yeah. So just kind of asking these questions and playing. So that's another yeah. big thing about queer reading and queer theory is like this play and just just kind of messing around with things and seeing what happens. So it is very, you know, creative. It's experimental. It's fun. This is a, this is a big thing. Like, you know, I've been studying theology for so freaking long. I am kind of bored of it in a lot of ways, like the standard, like classical theology. I'm just like, okay, yeah, yeah, we get it. But this kind of opened things up a lot for me to just Mm. be able to play around and have fun with it. And I think a lot of people are kind of afraid to do that with, you know, the Bible or with, you know, big, you know, important figures like John Wesley, who, you know, Mm -hmm. are are sacred in their own way a little bit in in these traditions. And I, you know, I just, I don't have that like same compunction or shame about it for whatever reason. I'm just like, let's just, let's just mess around and see what happens. And it's, it's really fun. And obviously like some people get a little bit nervous about it and that's okay. But I hope, you know, in reading this, like it, it kind of opens people up to that playfulness of of you know a lot of that has has like you know holy spirit vibes right of just mm-hmm. like which always you know can be coded as queer because it's just like you don't really know what's going on there it's so like flowy and like you don't it's can't nail it down what is it like nailing jello to a wall or whatever like it's <laughs> not gonna stick like what you you can't nail it down and so i think there's a lot of that that is really holy and 
you know, positive, life-giving way of thinking about theology. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I, I already am a big fan personally of like Lexio Divina, sacred reading and, and kind of doing that in like in small group settings and whatnot. But then it's 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 reminding me of going back to when I was studying theology and just the papers I wrote and kind of just how it can be fun yeah. to really sit with a text like that. It's um Yeah, it's really and especially cool. like I, you know, I, as I said, I, I would read these sermons like so many times just to kind of it is it was very like Lectio Divina kind of, mm. you know, just I just read these over and over and over until something clicked or I there was just some spark or something, you know. I, another question I get a lot is like how I chose the sermons that I mm. wrote about. And I like, it's funny, like I still, I don't have a good answer because it's kind of the same thing. I just like went through, I mean, the the version of John Wesley's collected works that I used has like, I think 150 of his sermons. And I, I didn't read all of them, <laughs> but I just like, I did look at all of them. You know, yeah. I flipped through, I read pieces and bits and titles. And, you know, I, I just kind of like immersed myself in all of the whole like, bits until I just like found something that kind yeah. of like gave me a little like hey, what's up like and it, it there's no like rhyme or reason to it really and it but it's just you know you read things until something happens and then you respond to it it's just kind of a weird like magic <laughs> Where does this project, now that this book is out in the world, where does this project kind of leave you? Where, where do you hope to kind of go from here? Well, I don't know so much where it's going to take me, but I hope that other people will take mm. it. There's definitely a sense that like, especially when I was like doing final edits and stuff, I was like, oh, I could have done that. I could have done this. Like, mm -hmm. this is absolutely like a starting point. It's it's a new it's a new thing. It's a new way of of reading John Wesley and yeah. using Wesley's work. And I have every belief in the Wesleyan tradition that pastors, you know, teachers, preachers, professors can use this way of working with Wesley and make something really cool and really like lively and like useful and meaningful in a way that you know maybe has kind of fallen to the wayside you know you just think yeah. like oh wesley he's like this stuffy old you know 1700s white guy from england like and but he's still so important to the wesleyan tradition you know and there's so many denominations within the wesleyan tradition and i'm just like we can still use wesley like he's so great Mm -hmm. We just have to like be a little creative with how we use him. And I just think like there's so many great, smart, creative people in the church that can do this same work. And I hope that this book is more just like permission and mm -hmm. like an example, like a model, like I'm just kind of modeling this method and that like I can like teach other people how to do it in ways that will work in their communities. Mm -hmm. Um 
So right now, I mean, I'm I'm doing a lot of like interviews like this. So I'm getting to talk to a lot of people. I've been invited to, you know, there's been some book clubs that popped up, which is really fun. I'm actually tomorrow I have a meeting with some, I think it's like a Methodist clergy book club who who read the book together. So I get to talk with them. There's a couple other like Methodist conferences that have invited me to talk a little bit about the work. And so I'm I'm so just like tickled and pleased that like people are actually like reading it and it's actually like getting out there and and doing something. You know, it's so rare, especially like as as academics, like it, like we're we're just like doing this work and hoping that it it does something and it's so cool to like see people actually reading it and and enjoying it. And so I hope that that is kind of what's next, that it can go mm-hmm. into like the Wesleyan tradition and actually like change things. Like just the fact that that's a possibility that that could actually happen, that I could actually like make a difference in that way is like so cool. <laughs> yeah. Is that a space that you want to keep being in, you think? Or do you have so. other ideas? <laughs> I mean, I don't have any reason not to. I I love the Church of the Nazarene. I mean, I know it's like a huge like pain in the ass. Well, we're we're like I'm a pain in their ass, <laughs> which like <laughs> they know and they will tell me. But you know, like I just have such a soft spot and kind of like like loyalty or obligation or something. I feel to to the denomination because of the way that. You know, Nazarenes have cared for me and, you know, educated me and, you know, given me a place to, you know, do theology and worship over, you know, the the years. And so, like, I know it's like not always a really comfy relationship, (laughs) but it's it's good. And I, you know, I'm happy to be a member of the denomination. And if I can be there for especially like younger folks Mm. in the denomination, especially like queer folks, you know, if, if they can look and see like, oh, here's a queer Nazarene who's healthy and happy and doing okay. Like that means a lot. I say a lot of what I do in the church of Nazarene is just like bearing witness to a way of living that is like really interested and focused on holiness in a Wesleyan way, but is also queer. And like, there is like a way to live that is full of like joy and freedom and holiness in this way. So if I can do that and just like be around, I'm going to do that. (laughs) I love that. And I, I love that too, because I think especially for, for younger queer folks, but queer folks in general too, like, I think mental health is so important in like taking care of yourself. And that's something that you've been outspoken about on social media I've seen. And like, what do you think, I mean, does your, does your faith help in that regard? Or do you have other spiritual practices, self-care tools that, that help you be a a happy Nazarene? Yeah, well, and I there's actually a a chapter in the book where I I pulled a lot of studies about LGBTQ mm. people and and their mental health and mm. the way that church participation works with that. And I mean the the studies, the research is so clear that like queer people in non-affirming religious spaces are way worse off and people mm. queer people in affirming religious spaces are great and Mm. like that 
is just it's so obvious and it's this huge difference and it's it's like again for me personally like it's not that big of a struggle and I don't really know why that is you know there's a lot like there's a lot of reasons why it should be I think maybe to some extent I'm just like don't really care. <laughs> I don't know. And like I said, I've been really lucky. Like the actual people that I actually, you know, am in community right. with are, you know, great and and love me. And so like that works. But yeah, as far as like practices and things, like I am recently in therapy, which is great. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh starting this, you know, journey. And yeah, I don't know. I think just being really clear about even like boundaries right of of like what what is the church allowed to do to me (laughs) you know like Mm. it like as a as a whole like the church you know or individuals in a congregation you know like i i don't want it to have the power to like crush me that's not what it's about it should be a place where i can grow and learn and you know be cared for and care for others like that's what I'm there for that's what it should be there for and so that's what I do that's what I do in church that's you know that's why I go and if if that's not what's going on if it's a harmful toxic place I'm not gonna be showing up and I know like a lot of people it's it's really fraught and it's a really challenging situation especially again with family like I can't even imagine I'm so lucky that like I don't have that kind of like family church trauma situation but yeah i get really annoyed with the the kind of flippant like gay people leave your church you know like it's like come on people it's not like it's not that easy especially for me i get i get real riled up sometimes with that kind of rhetoric because i am a queer person in a non-affirming denomination and i like it and like obviously it's not perfect but like no denomination is going to be perfect. So I'm going to just choose my battles and choose where I want to yeah. be. And so like, I, oh, I get so irritated with people being like, yeah, you should just leave. Like, okay. Like, and do what, you know, like what good would that do anyone? Yeah. Um, and on the other side, on the other hand, like, I'm always like, if you want to leave, like, yes, leave because you're not, it's not serving you and <laughs> you're not serving it. You know, like, everyone's on their own journey everyone needs to figure out this balance and this sense of like you know being real with yourself and thinking about what you want what you need what's serving you what you're serving and just like trying to figure that out and again like yeah it's not easy but you have to you have to do something like you have to make those decisions and and like think about it yeah um, really carefully Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, well, it's so important to people, like just the the ritual of going to church is so important and it can be something that's so hard to disrupt and to, and to really face what might really be going on in your church or what, how you might really be feeling about it. But really, if anything over the last two years has taught us anything with the pandemic, it's like, it's, it's good to sit down and, and really take stock of what's important to you and dedicate your time to things that matter and, and, and show up to spaces that are that are healthy for you and, and, and do that discernment for yourself, mm-hmm. perhaps in community with other people, talking to other people, but yeah, doing that work is really, it's so important. So important. Are there other, before we kind of wrap up, like, are there other books, resources as a librarian that you would recommend for people who are 
coming out in their church spaces, navigating this kind of territory? Anything that comes to mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have I have lists on lists on lists. Um, actually, one of the things I'm most proud of with this book is actually the bibliography. Like, I mm. think it's it's really good. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. But we um, have spoken like a true librarian, like, oh, <laughs> check out my bibliography. I know. I know. Well, because there's because there is so, you know, I, I talked a lot about queer, queer theology and Wesleyan theology. Like no one's really working at that intersection. But there's so many people doing queer theology and affirming, you know, theology for Christians out there. One of my favorites that really, you know, inspired a lot of this book is Elizabeth Edmonds' Queer Virtue. I love that book. It really, it talks about how the lives of LGBTQ people already exhibit so many of these things that we consider Christian virtues. And I, I do pull a lot from that. And then Likewise, Patrick Chang's From Sin to Amazing Grace. Love that one. That's that's a that's a really good uh, resource, I think. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for doing this work, for occupying this space for for folks in the Wesley denominations. Like thank you for um for for doing that and for being on the show today. It's been really lovely. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. If you'd like to learn more about Keegan Osinski, you can find her online at keeganosinski.com and on Instagram at Keegs, that's spelled K-E-E-G-Z. A link to Keegan's book, Queering Wesley, Queering the Church, is in the show notes, along with a couple other book recommendations from her that you should definitely check out. I know I'm going to add them to my list. And make sure you stay in the loop with the show by hitting subscribe or follow wherever you're listening and leave us a rating or a review those really go a long way toward helping others find our show. You can also find us on Instagram at OutLoudStories, and you can find me at It's Greg Thompson. You can also sign up for my email newsletter, where you'll get updates on all my work, including the latest on OutLoud. You'll find all those links I just mentioned in the show notes. I'm your host, Greg Thompson. Our theme music is by J.P. Ruggieri, and we record in Richmond, Virginia. Until next time, remember, friends, queer people have faith lives too don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Thanks for listening.